Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by 4 for 4 Associate Editor and Roster Coach Founder TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? We're back. Uh, the regular season's over, but we're still bringing it for the playoffs. I'm, I've been trying to make lineups all day, getting ready for this weekend, so uh, we're going to keep bringing the heat throughout the playoffs. Oh, yeah, we just spent about a half hour off air just trying to make a DK cash lineup <laughs> um, that ended up with Deion Sims and like every one of them. So that tells you where we're at for this week. But before we get into the games for this week and what we'll do on this podcast and throughout the playoffs on DFS MVP is instead of our normal format, we will go through each game, game by game, we'll go through all the positions, all the relevant facts, key stats, etc. in each game. Um, and any theory discussion we have, it will just be included in those game breakdowns. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up. That's what we'll do for the rest of the playoffs since the slates are small where we can dive in a little deeper to each game. But the song that played us in was Running by the Far Side off Lab Cabin, California, which was released in 95. TJ, you're taking it to some Cali boys. Yeah, I mean, uh, running is it's one of Far Sides. I mean, I remember two two songs that were pretty popular, but uh, they kind of reminded me of like the West Coast version of a tribe called Quest. So I've always liked this song a lot. Figured it was time uh, to put it in the DFS MVP playlist. No, it makes sense. Last week we went uh, we went with some Bronx, New York music. So now we're across the way on some LA music. So you know, balance it out. Got the East Coast, West Coast thing going on here. Um, let's, dump, let's jump right into these games. TJ, you can start us off with the 4.35 p.m. Eastern game on Saturday, which is the Oakland Raiders and Connor Cook at the Houston Texans and Brock Osweiler. Yeah, so uh, in this game, we have Houston favored by four at home. Oakland had a chance to, to get the two seed. Uh, but got beat up pretty good in Denver in the final week of the season. Uh, going into this game, I mean, I think everybody pretty much knows what to expect. Should be the lowest scoring game of the week, but that also probably means it's going to have the uh, lowest on players of the week. So that's definitely something to, to keep in mind when uh, looking at this game. And I'll just go through uh, the few relevant plays I do think are, are in this game, uh, touch on all the relevant players on both sides. The, the Raiders and the Texans did meet in Week 11 in a game that Oakland won 27-20. Uh, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, uh, obviously, because with Derek Carr out, this is going to be a way different matchup. It was a game on a Monday night in Mexico, so I had some weird circumstances around it. But in that game, Oakland played pretty much as we expected for the offense they were running at the time. They had a 60% uh, pass-to-run ratio. Their season average was 58%. Derek Carr threw for 295 uh, passing yards and three touchdowns. Latavius had 17 touches in that game for 92 total yards, but he had just 32 rushing yards on the ground on 12 attempts. Amari went four for 57 and a touchdown on five targets. Michael Crabtree 
had uh, went three for five yards on seven targets. That was one of his three games under five PPR points on the season. So Houston did a really good job against Oakland's wideouts in that game. On the other side of the ball, uh, Houston passed on 54% of their plays in that game, which was pretty on par with their season average at 56%. In that game, Brock threw for 243 touchdowns, uh, 243 yards, one touchdown, and an interception. Lamar Miller had a really nice game, rushing for 104 yards and a touchdown on 24 carries. DeAndre Hopkins, 5 for 58 on 6 targets. And C.J. Fedorowicz actually had his only double-digit target game of the year in that game. Uh, Six catches for 82 yards on his 10 targets. So just some numbers to think about. Obviously a very small sample size when we're looking at a, a single game. But I do think it's worth mentioning because as we've talked about on this podcast before, when it comes to... Uh, divisional games, we usually see a, a drop-off in production in the second divisional game just because teams have uh, some tape to go back on, some referencing, and uh, kind of a similar idea here. These teams are facing each other for the second time of the season. Uh, two really ugly quarterback situations. You mentioned Connor Cook, who will, who's Oakland's third-string quarterback. He'll be starting now after Matt McGloin hurt his shoulder uh, in Week 17. And Houston, now they kind of have a a quarterback carousel going. Started with Brock, went over to Savage. Savage got the concussion, and now it looks like Brock's going to start, even uh, if Savage does clear protocol. So take all those things into consideration. Starting on Oakland's side of the ball, Oakland has an implied point total of 16.5. That's their lowest projected point total of the week. Uh, in, in week 17, without Derek Carr, the Raiders passed on 68% of the plays, which is way higher than their season, season average, but uh, they were in a very negative game script in a game that they really wanted to win, so they were throwing pretty early in that game. McGloin and Cook combined to complete just 60% of their passes, so it was pretty ugly as we expected. Um, Houston's third in quarterback adjusted fantasy points allowed. They've allowed just .40 fantasy points per attempt over the last Six weeks, so that's middle of the pack. But over the course of the season, they have been very good against quarterbacks. Uh, without Derek Carr last week, Amari Cooper saw nine targets. Michael Crabtree saw eight targets. None of them had a particularly big game, but that target dr- distribution is still there among the top two uh, wide receivers. Uh, just again, looking just at last week, because looking over a big sample with the Raiders is probably not going to give us too much to take away just because their offense is going to be so different without Carr. Uh, last week, DeAndre Washington led running backs in touches with nine. Uh, but after that game, Del Rio came out and kind of suggested he wasn't happy with that touch share, uh, maybe hinting that he wants to go back to Latavius. But it, they've been hinting at a split or moving towards a split uh, over the past few weeks. So I don't think any of these running backs we're going to feel too comfortable with. But if we do take out last week's game, Latavius is averaging almost 20 touches per game in the in the five games before week six. So uh, I, I, I'm not too excited about any players on this Oakland offense led by Connor Cook. Uh, even not, I mentioned that Houston's been really good against the past. Over the last six weeks, Houston's allowed the fewest total yards per game to opposing backs and the second fewest fantasy points per game. So even if we did get a read that Latavius is going to get back to his 17 to 20 touches, I'm still not going to be too excited. Uh, Just kind of thinking about if there is anything to exploit or if maybe there are some some tournament plays or some ways to think about this game different than the public. Chris, do you have any thoughts on 
on Connor Cook or just how he's going to affect the game or the public perception of the game or if the Raiders even have the chance to win this game? Yeah, I think that because the Raiders are starting a third-string quarterback, I think that's what's responsible for kind of the four-point um, underdog for them. And I think the public is really going to be off this game and off most of the Raiders almost completely because you have a third-string quarterback throwing to um, the receivers and then you have what looks kind of like a at least a two-way but potentially even a three-way split at running back. I know Jalen Richard had a banged-up shoulder, was limited in practice most of last week, so he didn't see much work. But I actually think that Oakland just has more talent on their team overall. And I think they have a really good shot to win this game. And if that's the case, I think you can play people on Oakland in tournaments. You're going to get some really low ownership. You're going to get some probably some contrarian lineup construction overall. Now, I'm not sure. I think uh, Amari Cooper will see a lot of A.J. Bouye. So that's probably not a good matchup. But Michael Crabtree might be an option as a guy who you could just complete these seven-yard little hitches and things like that too over and over, especially on DraftKings, full PPR. He might be able to rack up a lot of receptions. And then I think you have to consider every single one of the running backs in tournaments because if you have a third-string quarterback, you're you're going to feature not just the running game but probably the running backs in the passing game. And we've seen these guys have a lot of success in the passing game. I, even in the previous game, I believe, um, Latavius Murray against Houston, Latavius Murray, um, Olawali even had a big play. I think uh, a lot of those guys are making plays in the receiving game and they've been doing so all year long. So I think pretty much I like everyone on Oakland as a tournament play because I think it's gonna they're gonna have really low ownership and you know I really think you have to focus on the backs actually I think the backs and Crabtree I like I like the three backs and Crabtree as tournament plays because I just think that they're going to be very low owned and they have some sneaky upside and you're always going to need kind of one of those off the wall plays to take down these tournaments on these small slates because you're going to have so many entrants that and something is going to come out of left field there's something's going to blindside you in the slate and it will probably come from this game. Like it's, they're still going to play sixty minutes of football, and some somebody in this game is going to score fantasy points. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a super interesting situation because of so many unknowns with the third string quarterback, a Crabtree, a guy you mentioned that I think even on, on in cash games on DraftKings, DraftKings is so tight that. If you can get a decently priced eight or nine targets, you just might have to go for it. You're not going to – with only four games, if, if you are playing cash, I mean, we've kind of been conditioned in these GPPs to play players we're uncomfortable with. But in cash, we're just looking for the safest plays. There, You're going to roster probably two or three guys in DraftKings cash that aren't quote-unquote safe. Uh, so I think you make really good points about those guys. Moving on to the other side of the ball – Houston has a projected point total of 20.5, which is pretty much exactly what their average implied point total has been this season. So whatever you've been getting out of Houston this year is pretty much what you should expect, uh, whether it's been Brock or Tom Savage. Like I mentioned before, Brock Osweiler is expected to start. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who 
hasn't been uh, the DeAndre Hopkins we've expected this year. Did see 11 targets last week and had a pretty big game. Uh, he's actually seen double-digit targets in two of the last three, so it was nice to see uh, Hopkins get double-digit targets with Brock as a primary quarterback last week. Uh, their other main guy, Lamar Miller, 7100 on FanDuel, $6,100 on DraftKings. I think he's the only like viable cash game option on either side of the ball uh, besides the defense and special teams. Uh, but even there, I have a few concerns. But he has a top two projected FanDuel value based on 4 for 4s projections, uh, top four DraftKings value at his position. Uh, before he got hurt, he saw 20-plus touches in three of the four games. Uh, Houston's been giving their running backs at least 60% of the total team touches over the final six weeks of the season. And Oakland's allowed the 10th most PPR fantasy points per game to opposing running backs over the last six weeks. So uh, if Lamar, uh, if his ankle is all healed up, then there is some some upside and some floor if we do expect the game to go like Vegas is telling us it will. Uh, Chris, you're not completely sure with that, but that's going to be up uh, to the user to decide. And then I think the only other viable guy to talk about in the Houston offense is C.J. Fedorowicz. He's seen seven targets in each of the last four games that he has played. And overall, Houston has targeted the tight end position on at least 25% of the team targets in five of their last six games and at least 30% of the team targets in four of the last six games. So no matter who's on the field for the Texans, they're, they're consistently targeting the tight end position. And then, as I mentioned, the defense and special teams uh, on FanDuel, Houston is priced at 4800 therefore for four's top FanDuel value. Chris, do you have any particular concerns about Lamar's ankle? Do you think they just uh, they gave him two weeks off? Uh, is he just going to go back to his normal workload? They let him heal up two full weeks. Um, and then additionally, obviously I don't think anybody anyone's even thinking about Brock, but would you consider uh, DeAndre Hopkins or Fedorowicz's GPP plays? Yeah. I'm a little concerned about Lamar's ankle, not necessarily because I think they're not going to give him a full workload because I think they are. I just, if there's any player in the slate that can potentially leave the game, and of course anyone can get injured in football, but we've seen this over and over throughout the year where Lamar has just been in and out of games and he's been gutting them out. So I'm not 100% confident that Miller is 100% healthy even with the two weeks off. I think he is a great tournament play as a home favorite running back, you know, could get work in the passing game, generally, you know, sees 20 touches plus when when he can remain in the game. And then Nuke, you know, CJ, I think both of them, I mean, honestly, I think you really, in these short slates, especially against a defense like Oakland, which they have some pass rush with Khalil Mack, but they aren't a particularly strong defense that's necessarily just going to stop the opponent from getting numbers I think you have to consider almost everyone on the offense um Nuke you know I think he's been targeted a little more by Brock lately maybe when Brock got benched and this is just pure narrative but maybe when Brock got benched you know he looked and he kind of did some self-reflection and looked at Hopkins production from the year before with Brian Hoyer and those guys, and figured that, hey, you know, I got to get this guy the ball. I'm sure Houston really wants to win this playoff game. I'm sure they're going to try to get him the ball. And CJ, you know, I think he's always a solid play. Little, little more pricey than I would like on DK. I think he's up to 4,200 there. Um, FanDuel 5,300, probably a little more palatable. 
for me, just given um, the way things break down with the, the minimum salary floors for tight ends. Um, and another guy I think is interesting, and again, in these in, in these large field tournaments on these short slates, you're going to need somebody that comes out of left field. Um, you know how I feel about these fast guys, especially in tournaments on these short slates. I think uh, Will Fuller is interesting. Um, he's actually averaging 12.2 PPR points per game at home. Um, this season, 65 receiving yards and four catches at home. Now, a lot of those games came early in the season at home, but they were with Brock and with Miller obviously going to get defensive attention and Hopkins getting targeted more, and we know Brock likes to throw over the middle. I mean, I could see Fuller getting some single coverage, and he's a guy who could get deep. So I think you have to consider all these things, especially because Oakland actually has struggled more so with the fast receivers rather than a guy like Hopkins who's a little bigger. Um, Oakland has seemed to struggle with the guys like Brandon Cooks and people like that. So I actually like Fuller. It's probably my favorite GPP play on the Houston side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad call. And in, in, in their last matchup, it was actually uh, Braxton Miller who had the big game for the Texans. So uh, that secondary receiver can can definitely uh, come into play in this one. Absolutely. So let's, let's move on, though, from this game, which, you know, pretty low total, to another game with, uh, I think, the, the second lowest total on the slate, and that is the Saturday night game, the Detroit Lions at the Seattle Seahawks. We're recording this on Wednesday, January 4th. Right now, the Seahawks are eight-point favorites. The total is 43, so that would be Seattle 25.5 to Detroit 17.5 if you're looking at implied totals. And for Detroit, their worst position in terms of 4-for-4 schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed is the tight end position. They're actually sixth against quarterbacks, which is interesting because they just set the record for the worst completion rate uh, allowed of all time at 72.7%. So what's really happening there is the Lions have been able to play keep away essentially for most of the season. And that's why even though the Lions are giving up a lot of passes, completions, they are not giving up a ton of fantasy points they have picked up the pace in the last two games however although there are some game script issues there now Russell Wilson has played a lot better at home this season than he has away at home he's averaging 273 yards 1.62 passing touchdowns just 0.38 interceptions and 8.5 yards per attempt when he goes on the road, his numbers sink to 254 passing yards, uh, one-to-one touchdown and interception ratio, and just 7.3 yards per attempt. The Lions are tied for the third most percentage of games, giving up multiple passing touchdowns at 62.5%. So TJ, Russell Wilson, he's our top value in quarterback in terms of projected points per dollar on both DraftKings and FanDuel. Is he your top quarterback play in cash games, just given the value, or do you like Big Ben more? Um, on Fandle, I think it's uh, relatively easy to get to Big Ben, and I think he's easily my my top guy on that side. On DraftKings, uh, it's a little bit closer because Russell Wilson's $7,000, Ben Roethlisberger's $7,600. And because pricing is so tight, that $600 can really come into play. 
with all that being said, I do think Roethlisberger's safer. I mean, we've seen over the past few weeks, Russell Wilson, I, I mean, this has been the course of the season, not even just the past few weeks, but um, we've seen some really fantastic matchups and he just hasn't put up great numbers. He only completed 19 of 32 for 258 and one touchdown against the Niners last week. Uh, he did throw three touchdowns against the Rams, but only completed 19 for 229 in that game against the Packers, who have been giving up huge fantasy points to quarterbacks, uh, just 240 yards and a touchdown the week before that, uh, just 277 and one against a Panthers defense uh, that has really struggled against quarterbacks as well. So we've seen, especially recently, Russell Wilson um, and just the Seattle offense as a whole not uh, perform in really, really good matchups. So he's just not a shoo-in against Detroit, who is bottom 10 and fantasy points allowed and touchdown rate allowed over the past six weeks. But uh, on on FanDuel, I, I don't think you need to do it, and I don't think uh, it's optimal to do it. On DraftKings, if you really need that $600, I think it's fine. But I do think if you do that, you're almost forced to lock in both Le'Veon and Antonio because – we do want as much as that Pittsburgh offense as possible this week. Absolutely, and I think you kind of hit it on the head where on DraftKings, I really want Le'Veon and Antonio, and maybe I can sacrifice some points at the quarterback position um, just to get to a cheaper guy and, and kind of get some other guys in around them. But on FanDuel, definitely Big Ben for me. I really don't know what to expect for Wilson. Um, one thing that I guess he does have going for him is that Seattle can't run at all, so that given that this is a playoff game, maybe they'll design some more runs for Wilson. I know they've kind of probably been preserving him for most of the year after he had a lot of problems with his uh, legs and lower legs um, earlier in the season. I could see him kind of setting setting a, a season high in rushing, or at least in attempts this week. Um, in terms of the pass catchers, we have Doug Baldwin. He's averaging 9.2 targets per game. Since week 12, which is 10th in the league, Jimmy Graham has actually been a 75% snap player this season and just 66% over his last four games. And he's been pretty quiet, but given that this is a playoff game, his snap count could approach 100% here. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, I did mention Detroit's worst position in terms of adjusted fantasy points allowed is against the tight end position so this could be an eruption spot for Jimmy Graham here week 17 without Tyler Lockett if you're looking for some tournament plays Paul Richardson played 67% of the snaps so seven targets Jermaine Curse was at 58% also saw seven targets Tanner McAvoy played 33% of the snaps, but only got two targets. Uh, 2015 undrafted free agent Kaysen Williams from Washington, 6'1", 219 receiver, played 20% of the snaps and got a target. And then you had Luke Wilson, the second tight end, also got three targets and played 56% of the snaps. So something to keep in mind there. I think Paul Richardson's interesting. Uh, Luke Wilson even and Curse are probably the, the three plays there if you're looking for a dart throw in the tournaments. And then we have to talk about this running game because over the last three weeks, Thomas Rawls has played 113 snaps. He's carried the ball 37 times for only 55 yards. That's 1.47 yards per carry. He's also only had three targets for two catches and five yards. So he's averaging 1.39 yards per touch over his last three games and a hundred some snaps. And then you have Alex Collins, uh, the rookie who 
didn't play um, three games ago, but over his last two games, he has 14 carries for 83 yards. That's 5.93 yards per carry. And then he had he's had five targets just over these last two games and caught all five for 24 yards. So Collins is averaging 5.6 yards per touch over those over these last three weeks, whereas Rawls is at 1.4. TJ, can we trust any part of the Seattle running game? at all given the struggles of the offensive line and now the possible committee and do you think it's possible that they hand the reins over to Alex Collins considering the way he's performed lately yeah I mean we saw Collins uh post 55 yards on just seven carries last week almost eight yards uh per carry you mentioned the targets I mean, this is the kind of play that wins these short slate GPPs. It's the kind of play that we look back and say, oh, wow, he was the better running back going into the game. Seattle was a huge favorite. We love running backs on huge home favorites. We completely whiffed on it. Um, obviously, we can't trust either of these guys in cash. They're not going to come out and obviously say that either of these guys are going to get a full workload. I don't think either of them are going to get a full workload. As a team, this uh, rush game has been atrocious you pretty much avoid them every week i mean when they get in the red zone they're running a fair amount they're they're running on about 47 46 percent of their red zone plays which is right around the league average so it's like there's um, a ton of upside and uh, just i i get collins as a big flyer if you're rolling out a ton of uh gpp lineups but really that's just it for me yeah, I'm with you there. I like Collins more than Rawls. I I do like him as kind of that large field play. I think if you're playing in a smaller um, GPP, you don't really need to go there. Um, but in a larger field, I think there is a chance that I, I think a lot of people are going to be focused on the Seattle passing game because they've they haven't been able to run the ball. But we see the signs, like you said, with Collins. Um, and I heard NFL Films' Greg Cosell, who's a guy I respect a lot. He watches probably more film than anybody um, in the industry, and he mentioned that he thinks that Collins, given the way the offensive line is playing right now and some of the concepts Seattle is running, that he thinks Collins is just a better fit for their running game right now. And in a do-or-die game, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we know rookie running back is the easiest position to kind of just step in. We saw what they did with ProSize when when he got healthy for kind of the first time. He was he was heavily involved in a really crucial game against the Patriots. And I wouldn't be surprised if Collins gets 20 carries for 80 yards and, and two touchdowns. Like I don't think it's out of the the range of outcomes for that to happen. Um, so so I do like Collins there. Moving on to the Detroit side of the ball, this is tough for them. This is not the same Seattle defense, I don't think, um, without Earl Thomas. But Matthew Stafford's been struggling lately. He has thrown 40 or more passes in four of his last six games, but he's only got six passing touchdowns in his last seven games. He's also run for two over that span. Seattle has allowed the third fewest percentage of games with two or more passing touchdowns, although, as I mentioned, Thomas is gone, so... That might help Stafford a bit. Stafford, as an underdog, though, has performed better. The team tends to go very pass-heavy in situations when they when they need to or when they need to come back or whatever. Stafford's averaging 26 completions, 287 yards, and 1.78 touchdowns 
as an underdog versus 22 completions, so four less completions, um, 249 yards, so 38 less yards, and 1.14 less touchdowns, so over a half a touchdown less um, when he's a favorite. So that's good for Stafford in terms of he's an underdog, and it might actually just be good for his receivers because if he's averaging 26 completions a game, he's throwing over 40 passes most of the time. Somebody on the Lions will probably rack up the receptions in PPR, and I think that guy may just be Anquan Bolden in the slot. He finished third in the league in red zone targets with 22, and he was in the top 10 in targets inside the 10-yard line with nine. Golden Tate will probably see some of Richard Sherman, and Deshaun Shedd has not been bad this year either. Tate's been lining up more on the outside because of Bolden. So Marvin Jones really been struggling, averaging about three catches for 40 yards since his eruption in uh, week three. So I think Bolden is kind of the play here. Eric Ebron would love to see him get more red zone targets. He's only had 7.1% market share of the Lions red zone targets and 9.4% inside the 10 I mentioned Bolden. Um, TJ, are you on board with that? Do you think Bolden is the best wide receiver play um, in the Detroit receiving corps, especially when you kind of take into um, take value into consideration? Uh, yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about uh, my favorite punt plays of the week, I think Anquan Bolden and Zach Zinn are clearly my two favorite punts of the week, especially on DraftKings. Um, and starting with Bolden, who you asked about, We've seen the red zone work lately. Uh, he's seen the second most red zone targets over the last six weeks. He's probably going to draw uh, mostly Jeremy Lane in coverage, who's arguably been one of the worst cover cornerbacks in the league. And Detroit, when they get near the goal line, they are they're the most pass heavy team uh, in the red zone this year. So even though there might not be a lot of scoring opportunities when they do, they're going to throw and they're uh, usually going to go to Anquan Bolden. So if we're looking at, uh, at least in cash games, or if we're looking at what we might call a safe or safe-ish punt play, I think it's definitely Bolden and Zinner. You mentioned Zinner saw 24 touches last week, and that was in a game that wouldn't necessarily favor game script. I mean, it ended up only being a seven-point game, but uh, Detroit scored a really late touchdown. They were down by... Uh, double digits for a big chunk of that game so I think uh, Zinner who is our top DraftKings value at the position is a viable cash game player over there as well definitely Zinner played 64 of 66 snaps last week got 24 touches I mean that's you can't ask for much more since week six when Golden Tate got re-involved in the offense he is eighth in points per game on DraftKings and FanDuel 18.2 and 14.0 respectively he's ninth in the league in targets per game at 9.5 they do move him around somewhat so he probably won't see Sherman more than maybe half his route so I I think there's a little bit of intrigue for Tate because he is another guy that could rack up receptions but I I I gotta go with Bolden as a top play especially when you take uh, Price into consideration yeah and uh, let me just jump in before we move on to this next game I mean Talking about Zinner as a possible cash game play, I just want to remind listeners that in the short slate, if you're playing cash, you're not going to be able to check all the boxes. So, I mean, if you look at some of our guidelines on 4 for 4, it'll say those home favorite running backs are optimal plays for cash games. We just, we don't have enough options to fill out 
check boxes at every position and just be optimal across the board. So that cheap volume is good enough this week. Absolutely. Hit the nail on the head. Let's go to probably the game with the most fantasy potential, which is the Miami Dolphins at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Currently, the Steelers are favored by 10. The over-under is 46. So that would imply a score of Pittsburgh 28, Miami 18. Um, Steelers have the largest spread and the highest implied total on the slate. Um, The Steelers this year, though, have actually gone over the total only 6 out of 16 times. They're 6 and 10 versus the over. Um, four and four at home. Miami though is twelve and four against the over. Um, that's second best in the league, including five and three in away games. Now, something I always pay attention to in terms of the betting lines for Steelers games because they are a public team. So many times the line could be a bit inflated. Pittsburgh is only four and four against the spread at home. This year, they are on a seven-game winning streak. They are a public team. TJ, what do you make of this line? Is Miami a 10-point underdog excessive? Their implied total is only 18, but I don't know about you. I kind of see some viable options on their offense. Three of Miami's pass catchers are in the top four in draft in our DraftKings value reports. TJ, what do you think of this, this line before we go any further? Yeah, I mean... Kind of starting backwards, yeah, I do think we're going to have some viable pass-catching options on Miami, but uh, I think we're, it's going to be a lot of uh, garbage time here, and this has been a really good team for that, especially with some of their specific players. If we take away uh, Matt Moore's four-touchdown game against the Jets, who had kind of already turned it in, uh, and I think those four touchdowns were on like 16 or 18 pass attempts, his numbers are very pedestrian. He's had a couple big splash plays to Kenny Stills, so I think that might stand out in anyone's mind that's looking for a reason to uh, to bet Miami or to think this game will be closer. But if we look at their defense over the last six weeks, they've allowed a 6.5% touchdown rate uh, and .50 fantasy points per attempt. Uh, both of those are bottom five in the league, and they haven't been any better versus running backs. They've allowed the six most, most rush yards per game over the last six weeks and the uh, third most total yards and the fourth most PPR fantasy points per game. So... They've been really bad on defense if we just look at scoring rates, touchdown rates. Uh, So given Pittsburgh's uh, explosive offense and all their weapons, I I don't think it's excessive at all. Yeah, I think at first glance I thought it was a little excessive just because I know Pittsburgh's a public team, so I always kind of knock their line down by a couple of points in my head. But upon further review, looking at 4 for 4 schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, which can kind of help you figure out the strength of a team because it's adjusting for strength of schedule. Pittsburgh is actually top six in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to every single position except tight end. That includes kicker, and that includes opposing uh, defenses. So Pittsburgh in the top six versus quarterback, running back, receiver. Like This, this defense has come on as of late, and... You know, I think Miami may struggle starting Matt Moore. Um, however, I think we do have to talk about their pass catching option. So we'll start by just going through Matt Moore and who he's targeting. 
Jarvis Landry's getting 27% of Morris targets. Kenny Stills, 24%, which is a pretty good rate. Devontae Parker, 21%. So the top three guys, top three receivers, are getting most of the targets. Then you have Damian Williams and Deion Sims at 9% apiece, and Marquise Gray and Jay Ajayi at 5% apiece. Now, Landry has been the wide receiver 13 on DK over the last six weeks. And the thing I think you can use if you want to hang your hat on something for Landry as a play is he is averaging 9.4 targets per game when the Dolphins are an underdog and just 6.2 when they are a favorite. So it's kind of the classic game script situation that you alluded to earlier, TJ, where the Dolphins, when they do get behind in games, they're going to chuck it to Landry, even though Landry's not really going downfield a lot. He is an easy target, and he's kind of like most teams would would target their tight end against zone coverages um, in garbage time. Miami just goes to Landry instead because he does have some yard after the catch ability. He can break a big play. He can do some, th- some, some really nice things with the ball in his hand. So we kind of have to give Landry probably a nine target expectation I know his targets have been down but that's because Miami has been playing better somewhat as of late and they've been favorites more uh, a little later in the season so I think Landry's target potential is there now there's always you know the the probability the potential for him to just kind of catch six seven balls and get 50 60 yards and not get into the end zone which doesn't help too much but I do think there is some upside with Landry Stills has also been a top 30 wide receiver on DK over the past six weeks. 13.5 DK points per game. Scoring a lot of touchdowns from Matt Moore. Hard to sustain, but in a tournament, if you're looking for kind of a guy that could swing things in your favor, that probably won't see too high ownership. I think Stills is definitely an option. He's fast. He can get that deep ball going. And I mentioned he has a 24% target market share with Matt Moore, which is very, very healthy. Now, Devontae Parker at 21%, he's always an option. He'll probably be the lowest owned of the three. Um, Not much to really hang your hat on with him, but he certainly does have some talent. In terms of the running game, Jay Ajayi um, has averaged uh, 21.7 carries, 123 yards, and .57 touchdowns in seven games as an underdog after he took over in week six. He's been really up and down. Um, there's been some offensive line injuries, but over Ajayi's last six games, he has three games under three yards per carry and two over five yards per carry. And since week six when he took over, he's averaging... 30 carries for 210 yards and a touchdown in two games versus the Bills uh, uh, compared to just 19 carries, 82 yards, and .4 touchdowns versus everyone else. But one of those games was a 204-yard, two-touchdown game against these very Steelers, but that was with a, a healthier offensive line. So I think the expectation for Jai should be more in that 20-carry, 80-yard 80 80 yard range um, TJ, what are your thoughts on Ajayi this week? Yeah, I mean, I I think he has a little bit of a floor. I mean, since Matt Moore took over, the Dolphins have been the most running back heavy team in the league. They've given 65% of their team touches 
uh, to the running back over the last four weeks, which is the most in the league. Uh, I think that probably has a lot to do with them just not wanting to put too much on Matt Moore's shoulders. I think they're not going to have that luxury this week. Um, so I think that it's definitely uh, the the most likely range of outcomes is is that uh, Ajay gets hurt pretty much by game script, and he's really going to need to to break a long one to uh, have much value. I mean, I, I don't know if he has as much upside as you like in tournaments, and obviously he could be deemed uh, pretty unuseful if, if Pittsburgh gets up by something like 14 points and the Dolphins are forced to throw the ball a bunch. Yeah, I mean, I think he has upside. I mean, he's shown he has upside. I mean, I mm-hmm. actually think the floor is just low with him um, more so than, than he has lack of upside because we've seen him put out three three separate, I think, 200-yard games with mm-hmm. him. So, um, yeah, he'll, he'll need to break off a couple of those big ones right. to, to, to get there. Right. Um, so moving on to the Steelers offense, and I don't think this will happen, but there are a lot of very casual players um, who may play in these small slates, DFS for the playoffs, and maybe they'll be looking at the last time these two teams played when they did Miami won 30-15. Ben Roethlisberger got banged up in this game only threw for 189 yards with a touchdown and two picks. Antonio Brown, only four catches for 39 yards on eight targets. And even Le'Veon Bell had a below-average game for Bell standards, only 16 touches for 108 yards with no touchdowns. Uh, Kobe Hamilton and Darius Hayward Bay scored the touchdowns for the Steelers in this game now this this happens with the Steelers when they go on the road first of all they tend to lay eggs and the Steelers are at home and I think it's going to be totally different so I'm really hoping that I still think Ben Bell and Brown will be the highest owned players on the slate but I'm hoping their ownership gets bumped down just a tiny bit because of the way that they struggled the last time they played Miami and the fact that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense has been so hot. Um, I, I, I have a much better outlook for the Steelers offense going against the Dolphins than I do for the Packers offense going against that Giants defense, which we'll get to. Um, you'll cover in a second, TJ. But just to reiterate, these home road splits for the Steelers, Big Ben since 2014 is averaging on the road – 270 yards and 1.1 touchdowns. Very underwhelming. When he's at home, 340 yards and 2.9 touchdowns. That is a ridiculous average to sustain over three seasons of work. It carries over to Antonio Brown, although his splits are a little more equal because he sees volume no matter what. But on the road since 2014, Brown, 95 yards, 0.46 touchdowns and 7.5 catches. Very good for anyone. But at home, Browns 8.4 catches, 110 yards, and 1.04 touchdowns per game. So over a touchdown per game at home over the last three seasons. So Ben and Brown, to me, are the top two plays on the slate in terms of just... um, raw point expectation well maybe two of the top three because this guy Le'Veon Bell um he actually has slightly better splits 
on the road, averages about nine more yards and about .16 touchdowns, but he's still averaging 136 yards per game at at home since 2014. So Le'Veon Bell, probably the top play overall, and then um, Brown and Ben, uh, the next two. But I think all three of these guys are guys you really have to build around this week. The Miami Dolphins defense is bottom five in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed versus the quarterback position, the wide receiver position, and the tight end position. And then if you're going to look at Le'Veon Bell and his role in the passing game, um, you know, he, Miami has zero linebackers in the top 45 of PFF's coverage grades. So Bell has a great matchup. Brown and Ben have great matchups. Bell is averaging 6.3 DraftKings points per game and 3.3 Fanduel points per game more than the next highest player on the slate um, over the last six weeks, which is Aaron Rodgers. So Le'Veon Bell has just been scoring more than any other player, regardless of scoring system. I think you have to build around Bell. You have to build around Brown. Um, you can maybe you can bump down at quarterback um, because you can still get a solid floor of points with a cheaper quarterback. But I think. Bell and Brown have to be the building blocks on this slate. TJ, to what degree will you be trying to jam the big three in? I guess on DraftKings more so, because on FanDuel, I think it's a little easier to do. But on DraftKings, um, how hard are you going to go to try to jam those three guys in? Yeah, on FanDuel, I think it's almost a a must. On DraftKings, I think it just comes a little bit more down to uh, how much you trust your read on the punt plays. Uh, I, I probably am... It's probably going to be hard for me to uh, to get to all three of them, but I, I think you definitely have to lock into if if you go um, whether it's Ben and Bell or uh, Bell and Brown. But uh, like I said, it just really comes down to how much you you trust your read on the pump plays in cash games. Obviously, I mean in GPPs, I think it's fine. I think in GPPs, you still don't even want to like think about fading them too much. We've talked about this a little bit on past podcasts, talking about short slates. You still want these top plays, uh, arguably even more so on on a full slate. You can, uh, you know, if you fade the top guy like the Antonio or the Le'Veon, there's a big enough or, of a player pool where you might find another guy that uh, scores those thirty points. When there's only four games. They might be the only player that hits that number, and if you don't have that player on your team, you're pretty much drawing dead. So I think instead of fading them in GPPs, maybe thinking in terms of uh, unique lineup construction, getting some really low on plays in other games, or even like we saw a couple years ago, if you're going to stack all three of them together, uh, maybe going all out and just stacking as many players as you can in this game, kind of like we saw with Kansas City and Indy in the wild card round a couple years ago, uh, that's a viable way to win a game on these short slates. So you can still win GPPs by jamming in these three guys. Yeah, I really like the idea of jamming them in in DraftKings tournaments. Because remember, we're kind of in this bubble here. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of of this DFS bubble where I think a lot of people won't necessarily jam all three of them in just because it's kind of hard. But if you're listening to this podcast, you know that there are options um, in some other games, you know, you can go with Anquan Bolden. You can you can you can do an off the wall play like a Will Fuller or Alex Collins. You you have Zach Zenner, um, Kenny Stills is an option. So there are plays that you can build around to um, jam these guys in. 
in tournaments. And speaking of tournaments, another guy I should mention is Ladarius Green. He practiced fully on Wednesday. He's in the last stages of the concussion protocol. Looks like he will play. Now, no player in the league got with more than 30 targets um, got targeted on a higher percentage of their snaps than did Green this season. He got targeted on 24.6% of his snaps. For comparison, Jesse James got targeted on just 7% of his snaps, and Xavier Grimble just 10.7% of his snaps. So Ladarius Green, another sneaky play. If you want to do a complete Steelers onslaught, the Dolphins are ranked 31st in fantasy points allowed adjusted for strength of schedule which you can find if you're a 4 for 4 subscriber of course and Eli Rogers another option in this game but I should mention that Rogers is averaging just 4.2 targets per game when Ladarius Green plays compared to 5.9 targets when Green does not so this is a situation where we may see Rogers take a back seat and I know um, he may be a little more popular than we think just because I think he's coming off three relatively strong games Um, of course one of them was in week 17 with the big three out but uh, Rodgers I'm not too excited about him this week Um, Ladarius Green I think is interesting Um, TJ take us into this Giants at Packers game Sure. So uh, New York is at Green Bay. Green Bay is favored by four and a half. But I actually think this is the most intriguing matchup of the week. I I think despite the four and a half point line, uh, this game could go either way. These teams did meet in week five. Green Bay won 23 to 16. Uh, In that game, Green Bay passed on 58% of their plays, which is slightly down from their 62% season average. Uh, Aaron Rodgers completed 23 of 45 passes for 259 yards two touchdowns and two interceptions Uh, Jordy Nelson only caught four balls for 38 yards and a touchdown on 13 targets Uh, Randall Cobb had a big game in that one nine catches for 108 yards on 11 targets and Devontae Adams five for 85 and one on eight targets on the other side of the ball uh, New York threw 70% of the time in this game. Their season average was just 60%. So they threw a really high percentage in that game. Eli completed just 18 of 35 for 199 and a touchdown. The Giants amassed just 43 rushing yards on that game on just 15 attempts. Uh, Odell went 5 for 56 and 1 on 12 targets. Sterling Shepard had just two catches for 14 yards on seven targets. And in that game, Bobby Rainey was the only other player with more than three targets. So uh, that's how that game went, but it was all the way back in week five. Uh, but once again, when we do see teams that face each other for the second time in the season, we do see uh, generally see lower production. So I'm not sure if that's the way this is going to go in this one. Uh, but I, I will just kind of go over uh, both offenses, both all the fantasy plays that I think are relevant and, and kind of give my take on it. So New York has an implied point total of 20 points this week, which is their third lowest implied point total of the season and three points under their average implied total of the season. And uh, I, I don't know if I'm really interested in Eli in any capacity this week. Over the last six weeks, uh, his 4.2% touchdown rate is middle of the pack, 15th amongst quarterbacks, and he's posted 0.39 fantasy points per attempt, which is 22nd among quarterbacks. And 
Over the season, Green Bay uh, has struggled against the pass. They rank 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed. But over the last six weeks, they've been pretty average. 4.1% touchdown rate allowed, which ranks 15th in the league over the last six weeks. 0.42 fantasy points per attempt, which ranks 17th. So they've been a little bit better down the stretch. Uh, If we look at New York's running game, over the last six weeks, they've allocated 62% of their touches to running backs, which is the ninth highest. So they've been offering their running backs a few more touches than they were earlier in the season. And uh, Paul Perkins, who is $4,100 on both sides, actually makes for a somewhat interesting play. He led the team in touches last week with 21, and he was able to compile 102 rushing yards on those 21 touches. Probably flew a little bit under the radar in Week 17. So those are kind of those things we look for. Not a lot of people paying attention uh, in in traditional fantasy we see a running back that comes on with 20 touches and 100 yards and then he goes in a wild card weekend and a lot of people um, aren't privy to it so that makes for a really interesting play especially against green bay who ranks 24th in running back adjusted fantasy points allowed on the season odell beckham always a guy that we're going to be looking at uh obviously going to be pretty pricey if you want to get him into your lineups $8,900 on fanduel $9,100 on DraftKings. Antonio is going to be the cash game play, so obviously I think that makes Odell a very interesting DraftKings play just because even if you get a guy like him at a slightly depressed salary uh, or uh, ownership percentage, that's always a really attractive tournament idea. He played just two-thirds of the snaps in Week 17, uh, but still leads the league in target share over the last six weeks. 71 targets over that span is the most in the league, has accounted for 34% of the team's targets, so... Uh, seeing a huge target share, huge number of targets, the second highest red zone target share over that span. So if the Giants uh, do come up with some scoring opportunities, I do think we could uh, see Odell get quite a few. New York has the fifth highest uh, touchdown rate inside the red zone over the last six weeks, and it's the second highest of any team playing this week. I mentioned Detroit has the highest red zone uh, rate of any team in the league, and New York's second highest of any team playing this weekend. Teams have thrown quite a bit against Green Bay as well. Um, Green Bay has seen 65% red zone pass percentage over the past six weeks, and they rank 30th in wide receiver adjusted fantasy points allowed. So obviously, I don't need to tell you all those things to tell you Odell is a good play, but uh, definitely don't overlook him just because you have Antonio Brown in some lineups. Uh, Another guy to think about, in, in the Giants' pass-catching course, Sterling Shepard, he's affordable. He's 5100 on FanDuel, $4,800 on DraftKings. If we look at 4 for four's projections, he's a top-four projected value at his position on both FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, and he has seen six red zone targets over the last six weeks, so averaging one per game, which isn't a huge number, but it does account for 20% of the team's red zone looks. And like I mentioned, uh, if New York does get in the red zone, very high likelihood that they're going to be passing considering their recent pass, considering how other teams have been attacking Green Bay. Um, He's probably going to need to score if he does hit any kind of value. He's averaging just five and a half targets per game over the last six weeks. Uh, But again, on on this week where you're going to have to find some cheap plays, um, I'm not opposed to Sterling Shepard, but... Uh, Chris, I'm, I'm always interested in your take on this offense because uh, the Giants are your boys after all. Yeah, man. Well, I'll start by saying Eli has had a horrible season. Like He's legitimately been more of a detriment, I think, to the offense than an asset this season. However, 
I'm interested in Eli and the pass catchers in this game um, because, first of all, the Packers offense are going is going to be one of the better offenses that the Giants defense has seen all year. So if there's ever going to be a situation where the Giants are forced to throw a lot because of game script reasons, it's against this Packer defense. And then we have to look at the fact that the Packers cornerbacks have just been dropping like flies and they weren't playing well before, but they had Micah Hyde out there at corner last week. He's a safety. Morgan Burnett is a safety. He was playing corner. Quentin Rollins is in a concussion protocol. Demarius Randall's been banged up and getting benched for performance reasons. So I really think that uh, all three of the Giants wide receivers have plus matchups in the passing game. And I think they're all interesting for different reasons. Um, Odell Beckham, we don't need to talk about too much. Sterling Shepard in the slot. I think, he, especially given what's been going on with, with Rollins and we don't know if he'll play. I think Shepard, he's shown that he can score touchdowns. I think he had eight touchdowns this year. So, Shepard's an interesting play, especially in a game where he could see a lot of volume. And then even Victor Cruz, he's min-priced on FanDuel. And Victor Cruz has actually been the Giants' big play receiver this season because they're having to use Beckham more on short routes just to move the ball. And Shepard's also a slot guy. So Victor Cruz has been the guy getting the one-on-one coverage down the field. And... He could. He's always liable to pop up for a big play. A couple of weeks ago when the Giants got a negative game script and threw over 60 times, Cruz had 13 targets. He did complain a couple of weeks ago about not being as involved as he wanted to. So there's a there's some good potential here. And one thing I've learned, especially with 4 for 4 schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed, is when you see a bottom five matchup, it, it doesn't really matter who who they're going against. You want to get exposure to that. We've seen it with Blake Bortles and and just a number of quarterbacks when they're playing these bottom five matchups um, in, in terms of AFPA. They have put up good numbers. And Green Bay is 29th in, against quarterbacks and schedule-adjusted fantasy points and 31st against receivers. So really good spot. I think underrated spot for the Giants passing game. And especially on DraftKings where... Eli is kind of in that middle tier. You have to drop 900 to get from Russ Wilson at 7K to Eli at 6'1. And then you don't really want to do Stafford at 5'7. So then you'd probably be going down to somebody like Matt Moore at 5,100. So Eli is kind of in the middle. Probably gives you some unique roster construction on DraftKings. And I think you can stack him with um, any one of his pass catchers and probably get a pretty unique lineup. Yeah, I mean. All really good thoughts there, and and I do think this could be a uh, interesting game to stack all around, just because I think a lot of people are going to be stacking that Pittsburgh Miami game, and uh, I I don't know if a lot of people are uh, going to be on the Giants side of the ball, but moving on to the Green but Green Bay side of the ball, uh, they have an implied point total of twenty four and a half, which is the third highest of the weekend pretty much right where they've been all year. Their average implied point total is 25 points on the season. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is $8,600 on FanDuel, $7,900 on DraftKings. Uh, He's always going to make an interesting tournament option, especially on a short slate. Over the last six weeks, 7.5% touchdown rate, uh, 0.63 fantasy points per attempt. Both of those are third highest in the league including Matt Moore's inflated numbers with his four touchdown games. So if we take that out, Aaron Rodgers is top two in both of those categories. 
Uh, New York ranks fifth in quarterback-adjusted fantasy points allowed, allowing just a 2.8% touchdown rate since Week 12, which is the sixth best, and 0.36 fantasy points per attempt, which is the seventh best, and they've allowed just a 12% touchdown rate inside the red zone, which is also top five. So New York's been uh, very good on defense, but Chris, like you mentioned, this is probably going to be uh, one of the best offenses they've seen all year. They haven't seen Green Bay since week five. So uh, Green Bay's uh, obviously got a lot better ever since uh, Aaron Rodgers said they could run the table. They've kind of caught fire. Uh, running back position, Ty Montgomery is $6,800 on FanDuel, $5,500 on DraftKings. As far as 4-for-4 four four projections are concerned, he's a top four value at his position on FanDuel, top two value on DraftKings. So I think uh, that's a little bit interesting there. We've talked a lot today about having to punt a position on DraftKings. He's not really a punt at 5,500, but he is affordable, averaging 13.5 touches per game over the last four games. Again, New York, pretty tough on defense. Fourth and running back adjusted fantasy points allowed. Uh, six fewest PPR fantasy points per game over the last six weeks. So a tough matchup, but uh, in a spot where you might need some cheap volume, uh, it can make sense. Green Bay is a home favorite. So I, I do think he... Uh, is a guy that you can save some salary with. Jordy Nelson, we don't have to say too much about him, kind of like Odell. Uh, Just been really fantastic. Obviously, Rodgers' main target, 8,500 on FanDuel, 8,000 on DraftKings. So you're getting a pretty decent discount compared to Antonio and Odell. If you do want to play Jordy, 9.3 targets per game over the last six weeks, which accounts for a 28% target share, which is the sixth highest in that time span. He's been a red zone monster all year. 11 over the last six weeks accounts for 30% of the team targets. So if Green Bay does get near the goal line, they're looking for Jordy. Uh, Before I move on to the other guys, I'm kind of curious how the Giants are going to handle coverage situation because they did limit Jordy in the first game. And um, I don't know if that was a function of, of using safety, if they just weren't moving Jordy around enough. They... Packers have moved Jordy to the slot a bit more over the last few weeks. Uh, not sure if it's going to be Eli Apple on him this week. He generally covers Jordy's side of the field, but like I mentioned, uh, Jordy has been moving. So, Chris, do you have any insider ideas of how you think New York might handle coverage responsibilities? We saw Vikings just let their cornerbacks do their thing against Jordy a couple weeks ago, and it really hurt them. Yeah, well, first of all, I think this is – a different Jordy than the Jordy mm-hmm. that played them in the first um, meeting because Jordy was not all the way back yet. He wasn't as explosive. He's making more plays down the field now. So I think this is a different Jordy. That being said, Janoris Jenkins and Dominic Rogers cromartie are both top eight in PFF cornerback grades. I would expect the Giants to try to get Jenkins on Nelson as much as possible when Nelson lines up on the outside and then in the slot to get DRC on him. I'd be surprised if they leave Eli Apple on him a ton. And if they do, I would think it would be a double team because we know Aaron Rodgers always looks for that weak link in the secondary and just relentlessly attacks it. And I think the Giants would rather take their chances with that being Devontae Adams. I mean, I could see a situation where maybe they feel like Jenkins could shut down Adams one-on-one since Adams has been performing very well, quietly finished the year as a top 10 wide receiver. So I could see a situation kind of like what Belichick does where he'll use his top corner on the second best receiver and then double the best receiver. So I think it's one of those two things. Um you know, an interesting play might be either 
Randall Cobb, if he's coming back, or Geronimo Allison, who's been stepping up lately. I think the announcers on the game last Sunday night kind of said, hey, I think it was Chris Collinsworth who said, hey, you know, Randall Cobb coming back might not necessarily just be worked right back into a starting role. He might end up having to seed some snaps to Allison. So I think Allison's another interesting play yet again. And maybe even the most interesting play given the uncertainty is, is Jared cook just because the giants, they've struggled with tight ends and they're definitely stronger at the cornerback position than they are at the linebacker position. So, um, yeah, I think as far as Nelson though, I think it'll, they'll probably either double him or put, or have Jenkins on him outside and, and DRC in the slot. Yeah, I mean, that that third wide receiver situation uh, is going to be a tough one to uncover if Cobb does come back. I mean, Allison saw six targets, 91 yards, and a touchdown in a game that uh, Green Bay still, even though Washington lost, they still have to win to get that home that division title and a home win. So uh, there are some cheap targets there to be had. But obviously the other guy that you want to consider in this offense is Devontae Adams, uh, more of a, a big play guy. Um Kind of, you're looking for that upside. He doesn't have the floor that Jordy has. He's only seen uh, 6.8 targets per game over the last six. No double-digit target games in that time span. But you are getting the the same red zone upside, or at least similar red zone upside to Jordy. Uh, matched him target for target over the last six weeks in the red zone. So there will be some scoring opportunities, and you're getting a discount on Adams. Obviously, fifty six hundred dollars on both sides. So whether you're you're game stacking, looking for a pivot off of Jordy, whatever it might be, uh, Devontae Adams is obviously a very viable uh, GPP option this week. Definitely. I think Adams is sneaky every week, and his price is way too low, probably on both sides, as mm-hmm. I mentioned. Top 10 fantasy receiver this year. If you took him late or picked him off on waivers, you probably went deep into your playoffs or won your season-long fantasy league. So that about wraps it up for us today on DFS MVP, the wild card edition. Changed the format up a little bit. Hope you guys enjoyed it. As a reminder, early bird discount rates for 4 for 4's 2017 subscriptions are available now. You can find that in my pinned tweet. I'm at Chris Raybon on Twitter. And you can also... You'll also get the rest of the playoffs free when you subscribe now. Um, If you're subscribing to DFS, we're doing all of our normal content throughout the championship week round of the playoffs. Um, You can find TJ on Twitter, at TJ Hernandez. And also, I want to quickly kick it over to TJ um, so he can talk about Roster Coach. Yeah, Roster Coach is a site that I founded uh, well, last year now since we're in 2017. Uh, just kind of giving you a chance to uh, look over whoever your favorite coach is, is shoulder, uh, really get an idea of our day-to-day or week-to-week process for DFS. Uh, we just rolled out our NBA product. We have uh, Matt LaMarca, who has been doing some great work over at Rotoviz. And Tom Beluco, who's been doing some great work at Roto Ballers as our NBA coaches. They're bringing you uh, full slate breakdowns for every uh, every full slate. They're doing some uh, tournament recaps, and they have some fantastic NBA courses. So if you play NFL DFS and are thinking about transitioning to uh, NBA DFS, we have a full library of content that could 
help get you started, whether you've never played before, if you've dabbled, uh, you can go into our co- courses, check it out. Uh, both of those guys are available for one-on-one DFS coaching. And we are still rolling out some NFL content. I'm breaking down all of the GPPs on both FanDuel and DraftKings, telling you which games offer the best value, giving some full uh, game breakdowns going through uh, championship week. And, of course, Chris and myself and our other great NFL coaches are available for one-on-one DFS coaching. If uh, you are looking to play some uh, playoff DFS, don't have the time, or just looking for a little bit of a guide leading up to to Saturday or Sunday, we can definitely help you out there. So be sure to check out rostercoach.com. Most definitely rostercoach.com. Great site. Love those GPP breakdowns. Kind of gives you – um, a heads up as to what GPPs offer the best value, the most upside, etc. So I enjoy those videos every week. And I must say, I'm excited to finally get a chance to dive into some NBA DFS pretty soon. It's pretty hard to do with all the NFL stuff I got going on, but I really do love to play NBA DFS. So I'm excited about that. TJ, any last words before we get out of here? Let's just get this wild card shmoney. Let's get this shmoney. Or a sucker or something to that effect Respect I used to never get Cause all I got was upset